You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where we still haven't seen the first G.I. Jane. Because bald women are gross. Come at me, Will Smith. I'm your host, Justin Nemlesneski, the hopeful bromantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounced anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show, including the things that we are poorly enunciating, because apparently I am having trouble with my enunciation this morning. But regardless of that... My co-host audio, wow, you're going to love this because he is currently in the middle of working hard. So what do you hear his audio? Joining me this trip from Dale's Lawn, identifying, oh, not from Dale's Lawn, I apologize. I'm just reading the, the script like a robot here. Not from Dale's Lawn, from the Santa that is Rosa? That doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. Speak English, Justin. Identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hello, hello, yeah. Never be a beta. Just never, ever do it. It is death. Yeah. What a, uh, <laughs> what a What a great week. I'm up here in uh, beautiful, sunny Santa Rosa, California. Um, we are training the new staff. Uh, some of you on Instagram have been seeing uh, the random pictures I've been posting. Um, today is a, a day of rest. Tomorrow uh, we have some VIP lunch where we're going to... Uh, Try and see if the staff can handle a artificial lunch rush, and then Tuesday uh, we charge up the batteries and open on Wednesday. So it's going to be a busy, tiring, exhausting week, but it's really exciting. Sounds super exciting. I'm excited for you. It's good to know that uh, some people can still be doing well in, in today's day and age. <laughs> yeah, and I, I've resisted the urge to slap comedians for a whole week. I don't know how you do that. How do you do that? So that's that's the thing I want to ask you, just to start off before we jump into everything. Have you really been able to pay attention to what's been going on? <laughs> you know, it somewhat. It's sort of like uh, you know, uh, you, you hear about things that are going on and passing, and then you start to look them up, and you're like, wait, that actually happened. I mean, the uh, the whole Oscars thing happened as I was leaving, and then. Uh, and then, uh, the fallout has been trickling out and then, you know, it's, uh, it's been kind of a crazy world. So I'm going to, I'm going to catch up with all the farce, uh, for, for once, uh, Justin, I'm going to lean on you to point out all, all of the farce for a week. All right. Well, I can do that because I think the crazy thing about this week is, you know, we've only got three things we're going to talk about. And of the three, one of them is just something that hits my personal buttons, which is why I, I put it in here. But the other two things, it's interesting to me. It feels like this is farce that people in general are talking about more than just, oh, this is farce that's only on the Internet. And that's really, really interesting to me because I think that's an important. Maybe we've turned a corner, or maybe we're at a, a cultural turning point. But we—it's the metaverse. About, it's the metaverse's fault. Well, no, I mean it's the metaverse, the real life and the online coming together. Oh, is that what the metaverse means? I'm still not clear what they mean by the metaverse. I think the metaverse is Facebook wanting to sell you ads directly to your face, but that—that's just me. 
Weren't people already doing that in like the form of billboards? <laughs> yeah, but this would be like even closer. This would be like inches from your eyeballs. That's like more premium oh. space than any billboard. So it's like, um, what's that VR movie? Uh, I can't. I can't remember the VR movie. Never mind. Sure. Forget it. Let's just go into life on the midside. Just hit the music. Ready Player One is the movie I was trying to think of. Ready Player One. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. So I was saying, once you're in the the VR world, the ads are going to appear right there. They didn't have that in there. For a cynical movie like that, an anti-corporate movie like that, they didn't didn't have that in there. It seems like a missed opportunity. And while we're talking about ads, I'm going to do an ad right now, and I'm going to say everyone can support us through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. We appreciate any and all support. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash locals. You see how good of a transition that was? Oh, now, yeah. I don't have a good transition into uh, the Oscars, the Oscars, which, as we know, we don't pay attention to. Although I was talking to Midsider Lucid, and apparently I've seen more Best Picture nominees than I've realized. There was actually one year where I've seen, I saw seven of the Best Picture nominees, which is crazy to me. Seven of the ten. I didn't even think I could sit through three Best Picture nominees. So I found that interesting. But, of course, what everyone's talking about is not about the awards themselves. It's about something that happened in the awards. And I found out about this not even because I was watching it, but because it immediately blew up on social media. Chris Rock made a joke. Chris Rock was one of the hosts, right? They decided, hey, we're going to have comedians host it like... You know, Billy Crystal back in the day, except they had multiple hosts, right? It was Chris Rock, Amy Schumer, and I don't, I don't know who else. But I, think, I believe there was one other comedian. He made a joke about Will Smith's wife, about Jada Pinkett Smith. She has alopecia, and he made a joke about how he's looking forward to G.I. Jane 2. Which, to me, is the least offensive, the nicest kid gloves angle you could go at the alopecia joke. Right, because G.I. Jane is about being in the military, it's about being strong and cutting your hair for that purpose. Uh, I also think he missed an easier joke, William. Isn't Jada Pinkett Smith in the Matrix movies? Yeah. And when you're in Zion, don't you have a shaved head? Yeah. Often. So, great. So, couldn't he have gone in that direction? Doesn't that seem like the more obvious direction? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was such a small, uh, maybe it was just a, due to com- the compactness of the G.I. Jane joke that you that, that one would be maybe marginally easier. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Like, it would definitely be more timely in a sense since the Matrix um, movie just came Right, out. and more relevant to her. Yeah. All right, so, I mean, quality of the joke aside, Will Smith took a moment, he laughed, and then he got up there and he slapped chris rock now this is insane on a couple levels for me first of all it's incredibly narcissistic i mean everybody's talking about you know violence violence and that's you know obviously don't initiate force right this isn't 
an apical situation where you would hit someone, right? This isn't, you know, nobody, nobody did anything to him that was worth getting violent over, right? But the idea that this was on live national television and it never crossed his mind, oh, maybe now is not the time to hit him. Now, I'm not saying there was ever a time to hit him, but I would have understood a little <laughs> bit more if he waited till after the show saw him and slapped him. But the fact that he interrupted the entire award ceremony, that's that's the definition of narcissism right there. And then the second reason this is really insane to me is there's an irony here. He's in a movie called King Richard. And then he essentially slapped the court jester for making a joke. Yeah. Are we really in that day and age where, I mean, you don't talk about privilege. Words are violence, right? I mean, I guess. So before we even get into, I want to, I want to talk about the reaction to this. And I want to talk about specifically Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, his reaction. He wrote a column about it. And if you remember back in the day, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the one who wrote about how evil La La Land is because it's about a white savior trying to come in and help jazz. So I want to look at his angle because I thought his angle was interesting and kind of talk about that a little bit. But first, what's your reaction to this overall, William? I, it's nothing but, um, just a sadness. We're seeing a man sort of being broke down and the destructive and self-destructive behavior that comes with it. We, you know, people probably haven't been following Will Smith that closely. You know, there was these crazy YouTube videos that his wife uh, does where they all come up to a table and they talk about uncomfortable things. And one of them was like, is that what it's called? Yes. Yes. And one of them was her talking about basically cucking him like, on a you know YouTube video slash podcast, it's just like you know she can have sex with whoever she wants, and uh, he he uh, you know uh, it's her body, and so she can do this. But he you know of course he can just you know he's just there to be you know the husband right and supportive of the wife in whatever decision she may, wants to make with her body. It, it was just just the the way that. Someone who I think genuinely was a lot of the things he was projecting through his music and in his acting, the kind of sort of man he wanted to be and and the sort of man he idealized as a husband and father. Um, he's just he's just seeing that be mocked and destroyed by people that he cares about and. So that's just sort of the general context. And then you see something like this and not not justifying, but seeing that it is sort of a, a, a larger symptom and another sort of minor destruction of this poor man's uh, soul. It's just it's just terrible to watch. I think the the way you went about it is is perfect, and I think it leads into what Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is talking about, because so much of the conversation has been about women's rights, right? And and 
what does this reflect about women? And also, obviously, there's been conversation about race in relation to race, but I don't really want to go in that direction because I think what's being what's missing here, what's being overlooked is what this says about masculinity and, and what's happening to masculinity in this country. And as you're pointing out, the real effect that it has on individuals. And as you're pointing out, we're seeing the destruction of an individual. We're witnessing the destruction of an individual. I mean, this is ironically the night where he won the award that he's been chasing his entire career. He finally won Best Actor, and then he had to give it up and he resigned from the Academy. If that isn't a a huge statement on how much he's allowed himself to be destroyed, because... And before I read this quote from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, William, something you said really, really resonated with me. The idea that he's there to support whatever choice she wants to make with her body. This is a problem with the social justice movement and the problem with looking at things collectivistically. Every individual has a right to do what he or she wants with his body, his or her body. Do you agree with that, William? Absolutely. But does every person have to support what that person does with his or her body? No. And I think that's the that's the difference here. Right. If you're But under collectivism, under social justice, the men have to support the women because the women have been oppressed and marginalized for so long that their voices need to be heard and they need to be allowed to do what they want. This is how we get to what I always say is nobody wants equality. People want to take power so they can be as oppressive and immoral as the people who were in power before. It's no longer about, and arguably it's never been about, hey, how can we make society and human life better Overall, it's just been a power struggle to see who can be the most corrupt because, oh, you were corrupt. Now it's my turn to be corrupt. Yeah, it's uh, I think the discussion has been almost exactly backwards, right? What we're seeing is toxic femininity on display. Right. What happens 100%. when when uh, those um, for lack of a better term to use, those sort of male, um, more masculine traits are sort of turned on their head, turned against the individual man trying to live up to them. Right, a, a man wants to support and and care for and 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 protect, uh, you know, their the the that feminine aspect in their partner and. And someone who just, I don't know, purposely or not purposely, that's not even important, but ends up using those very uh, virtuous traits to destroy their partner. And it's, it's just, it's crazy that, that we're seeing that dynamic play out over years and, and culminate in this just you know, destruction on the eve of an achievement that someone you know, that that you know Will Smith's been going for for since the beginning of his career. Right, and and that's what makes the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar piece so insidious to me. So he's talking about what he's calling the toxic bro ideal, and he's saying Will Smith's behavior reinforces it. 
Here's the quote. What is the legacy of Smith's violence? He's brought back the toxic bro ideal of embracing Cobra Kai's teaching of might makes right and talk is for losers. Let's not forget that this macho John Wayne philosophy was expressed in two movies in which Wayne spanked grown women to teach them a lesson. Young boys, especially black boys, watching their movie idol not just hit another man over a joke, but then justify it as him being a superhero-like projector, are now much more prone to follow in his childish footsteps. Perhaps the saddest confirmation of this is the tweet from Smith's child Jaden, and that's how we do it. William, I agree with the premise that this violence shouldn't be committed and it shouldn't be used as an example for younger kids. But what nobody is looking at and what Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is not talking about is this is coming from, as you said, the destruction of a man's self-esteem, of his worth. This isn't about masculinity. Someone who acts out like this is someone who is trying to prove his masculinity, assert his masculinity, not someone who has it, who's comfortable with it. If Will Smith were pure, truly comfortable with his self-esteem, with his masculinity, he would have seen the joke for what it was. Not a very good, not a creative joke, a throwaway line in an overall decent evening. And he would have kept his eye on the prize. Literally. On the award. Yeah, this is not an action done by someone who is feels confident and feels their own efficacy, right? This is someone who feels like that that they don't have control and this is a lashing out to try and gain regain control, right? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And it's so dangerous that we're looking at it backwards. Oh, well, this is what it looks like when masculinity is asserted. This is what a masculine culture looks like. No, it's not. If you look at the way medieval cultures are portrayed, the way gestures are portrayed, the entire point of the gesture is he's the goofy beta guy, to, to use a term that some people may not like, but... He's the beta guy who, oh, look at me, I'm, I'm falling on the sword for the amusement of the, the, the guy who's in charge. And the guy who's in charge just looks at him and, and laughs because he's a goofball and he's not to be taken seriously. And Oh, that's the best you've got? I mean, if you're the king of the realm, William, and somebody is like, haha, your wife is bald because of a condition she can't control. If you're fully confident in yourself, do you get upset about that? No. It's, it's, that's the whole point is that it's, you're, it's not that you're above those concerns. It's just that you're, you recognize what you have power over and what you don't have power over. And one of those things you have power over is your self-control, your self-image, your uh, values and how you've uh, built them and what you're pursuing. Well, and, and what you don't have control over is is what disease you or your wife gets. You can't control or the fact what, that she's or what jokes someone else makes. <laughs> right. So, so Will Smith essentially got mad about two things he had no control over, but maybe he's getting mad over things he has no control over because, as you pointed out, he doesn't have any control over anything because he's given up his control to who? 
his wife. But instead, instead we want to call it the toxic bro ideal, that Will Smith is acting like a bro. And I think an extra irony to what Jabbar is saying here is he's saying young boys, especially young black boys watching their movie idol, are going to use it as justification. First of all, I don't think young men, young boys are looking up to Will Smith anymore. I think he's from our generation. Or let me put it this way. I think he was the idol for our generation. And I think people like us have outgrown him now. Right? Our our hero is someone like or I let me speak for myself. My hero is someone like um Bruce Willis. My 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 brain went Bruce W and what Bruce Wayne, Bruce Willis, because especially because it's talking about John Wayne here. So my brain got screwed up. But Bruce Willis, right? That's what real masculinity looks like. Right. Look at the way he's handled his diagnosis. Look the way he's handled his disease, his degeneration. Whereas Will Smith, we're able to look at him and say, well, no, he's not really masculine, but these are the problems that these entertainers are forced into because of the culture they're forced to become a part of in order to stay successful in these industries. You have to almost sacrifice yourself at the altar of social justice to be successful in Hollywood. You almost have to internalize it because when you look at William Will Smith's rap and you look at the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and you look at movies like Independence Day, it's as you pointed out, was he projecting what is now popular? I mean, uh, it depends on which aspect, but uh, not really. I mean, he was, right. he he was, was projecting. What he was projecting was against social justice, right? Exactly. Exactly. It was pushing back against some so parts does, of the culture and highlighting right. some of the more traditional aspects and, and sort of modernizing them. Right. And that's why nowadays I'm saying he has to sacrifice himself to the the altar of social justice, which is inevitably going to get him here. But it's really dangerous for us to say and for Jabbar to say, oh, well, he's acting like what the ideal bro is. Yeah, no, I don't agree with that at all. I don't agree with that at all. I mean, it's uh, we uh, just to flip and look at it from a different angle, like. Even the Red Table interview, I was getting, you know, Lillian Bearden vibes. And then just watching you, <clears throat> some people have been, you know, slow-moing the, uh, the shot, you know, where the joke is said, you know, Will's, you know, kind of laughing and taking it. And you can see the sort of like, you know, that, that his wife is sort of frowning. And then you don't get to see the conversation, but you could just imagine what that conversation was. And, and... I can't imagine someone, my, you know, you know, my, my married partner, right? Like someone who knows my values so well, knows what is possible tonight saying, and just choosing to put that burden on me in that moment, in that state. And then it's basically like just setting setting someone up for destruction who better to push your buttons and turn a positive thing into a negative thing than exactly that kind of toxic relationship. Like what, you know, you, you talk about narcissism, what's more narcissistic will doing it or, or Jada instigating it. Oh, a hundred percent. And now you're getting into some uh, stuff that I believe is related to race. And I don't mean that it's 
integral to any certain race, but I think it's a certain type of culture that I'm not really comfortable talking about, but it's something I've observed in the culture. And I agree with you completely that she said to him, essentially, are you going to let him say that about me? And then he with no self-esteem rather than replying to her and saying something like, it's not a big deal. Let it go. Which to me is what a healthy man would have done. Right. He would have helped her check herself against reality. Right. Because healthy partners help check themselves and each other against reality. Instead of that, he thought, oh, wait, I do have to protect her. I mean, even my kids picked that up. My students picked that up where they said he laughed and then she was upset. So he did something. And that's where I I, I think we should cut this off here because yeah. I think there's some uncomfortable race things that. I don't think we're the right people to discuss and point them out. All right, let's move on to the next thing I want to talk about. And I actually, William, I think the next thing is related to what you're talking about. And I don't think it's necessarily just about masculinity. I think that across the board, people are losing a sense of self-esteem and efficacy. And because of that, they're turning to substances, You know, I've always said uh, straight edge, straight edge is about respecting yourself and having that self-esteem for to say I'm valuable and I can deal with reality on my own. And reality is worth dealing with on its own. I don't need extra substances to enhance or distract from my experience of reality. But I saw an article from The Wall Street Journal this week. They say it's an exclusive. It says positive drug tests among U.S. workers hits two-decade high. Fewer employees... Then it says, fewer employers tested applicants for marijuana last year than in 2020 as companies grappled with nationwide labor shortages. So essentially, William, and, you know, the article will be available on the midside.com slash podcast. I don't want to go into all the, the details of the article here, but essentially, we are having such a labor shortage, which, by the way, it's ironic that Biden talks about record low unemployment, right? Does Those two things seem to be contradictory to me. But we are at such a labor shortage that these companies have to say, oh, it doesn't matter if you're high. It doesn't matter if you're on substances. We're going to waive drug tests. Now, I want to be clear. I don't think legally that drugs should be outlawed. But I do think companies have a right and companies should test to make sure their employees are not on any substances that are going to affect their job performance. And obviously things like marijuana and alcohol can. Now, it's interesting we don't test for alcohol, right? But they say you can't come into work drunk. Although yeah. all these people working from home, how do we know if they're not drunk? Yeah. And this goes this goes to everything. We are putting together something dangerous right now in our culture. I think I think working from home is great. I think moving in the information age, we have to do that for you know the more information-based jobs. But we've also destroyed everyone's sense of self-worth over the past two years, forcing everyone to stay at home and tell everyone everyone else is dangerous. Right? We've talked about that over and over again. We've reinforced the interpersonal hostility principle. The idea that the world is dangerous and other people are out to get you, and the only way to survive is by hiding in your home. Well, then, what are you going to do? How are you going to cope? Especially with the push nowadays to legalize marijuana, is it, doesn't it make sense that we're ending up here 
with this overusage of marijuana and this rising alcoholism in our country? Yeah, I think. Well, I was gonna. I was just gonna um, make a uh, a little give you a little context for you. If someone gets into uh, like an accident, let's say at work, someone cuts themselves on a bread knife or you know cuts themselves on the slicer or anything like that, and we go, they go to the, um, we send them to the you know to the um, uh, urgent care, right? They will do a alcohol and drug test, and and they will screen. Because it's important, like you said, it's important to know if, I, you know, I don't care as an employer. I don't care what people do outside of work, you know, for the most part, right? Like, don't uh, don't uh, be wearing, uh, you know, our company logo shirt while you're uh, committing crimes or something, right? Like, that, the, the, those sort of things, I, I think I would, uh, I, are in my social media policy. But, like, if you're at work, yeah, absolutely. You should not be altered in any way. Right. Um, even there's like even like, you know, prescription medications can be an issue when operating the slicer. I mean, it's a dangerous piece of equipment. Right. Um, yeah. Antidepressant and, and such. Yeah. yeah those can yep. be very helpful. Yeah. yeah. So like so the, that context is super, super important. And as we and we, so that's you know, that's in the restaurant industry. If you move to something like the, uh, you know, the tech industry, it's. It, it 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 brings up a lot of interesting issues, right? Because you you know people will be like, well, I'm in my home, and you know if I want to you know smoke marijuana or have a a few drinks uh, in the evening um, while on the clock, then you know so what? And it's like, well, what are we? What are what are we? What kind of uh, boundary are we cultivating? And I think that's part of. Uh, not just the interpersonal hostility stuff, which we've talked about before, but this blurring of boundaries that comes with working from home is important yes. to identify and respect. And, you know, yes. I, I, I have sort of two areas in my house where it's, um, you know, it's work areas, right? I have my office upstairs where I normally podcast and have a great microphone, unlike today. And then I have a section outside uh, under the, the nice umbrella on the couch where I can, you know, go outside and have meetings and be, you know, in the outdoors and, and, and have my one-on-ones and other meetings outside. And uh, when I, you know, am tired of being cooped up in the office. And those are work areas, right? And I respect them in both directions, meaning like I don't, you know, I don't have, I don't use them for recreation, Right of any kind. Uh, and, and it helps me <laughs> no jerking off boundaries. in the work areas. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Nothing in the office. Um, but it, it, it keeps those boundaries, uh, out of, it, it helps me mentally keep those boundaries. Right. And I think that's a skill that you have to cultivate just like we were talking about cultivating skills around, um, countering sort of this, uh, interpersonal hostility that we see in the world. I think those setting those boundaries and respecting those boundaries, however, that works for you is probably the best advice I can give. No, a hundred percent. I mean, I agree with what you're saying in regards to working from home and that's not even an issue that has to do with drugs, right? Like don't be watching TV while you're in that area, right? Don't have a TV in that area, right? All these kind of things that you can do to focus on your work and get your work done well to let yourself know and signal to yourself, internalize where the boundary is. But that's an entirely separate issue here, William. Yeah, it does bleed over into the substances, 
right? Because yeah. you can certainly drink alcohol at all at home, but the reliance on these substances now and the fact that we have to turn a blind eye, employers have to turn a blind eye to these substances now. To me, that's further proof of the, the, the degradation of our culture, that these substances yeah. are becoming more normalized and that they're becoming normalized to the point that companies are saying, oh, well, we can't even think about that anymore. We just need to hire people. We're, we're accepting lesser labor. And I know, look, I know you say you don't care what people do in their free time, but I'm going to push back on that a little bit. If you found out one of your employees was going home and shooting up heroin every night, wouldn't you not want that kind of person working in your establishment? Yeah. Again, they certainly wouldn't be a supervisor. Right. Well, so there's a line. There's yeah. a line. And I, what I'm saying is we've moved the line far too too much. We drew the line far too down the line. We've lowered our standards so much because people are lowering their own standards due to self-esteem issues. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our last story where our last story is kind of complicated here. And it was something I haven't really wanted to touch, but I found an article that I thought was really interesting that showed the complexity of these discussions and how people don't always see things in such a, I hate to say gray manner, but people don't see things in such a complex way. So we've previously, we had a whole episode dedicated to the don't say gay bill, right? Which was actually the parental rights and education bill and had nothing to say about not saying gay, right? It wasn't saying that at all. It was talking about, you know, what's the appropriate age to start teaching sex education and about, you know, issues of gender identity and sexual identity and about keeping the parents informed of what students are saying and how students are feeling and what their issues may or may not be. Well, somewhat predictably, the employees at Disney World have pushed back on Disney's stance because Disney did not fight back against this. Right? Disney did not fight back against this. So their employees, the same employees, William, who tried to protest their reopening during the pandemic. So I don't know if you know this, William. Had you heard that during the pandemic, there was a number of employees at Disney World who were trying to protest the reopening because they said it was unsafe for them to be working? I had heard that. I had heard that. That's absolutely insane. I mean, we didn't discuss it on the show, but it's so anti-reality because it's saying, oh, this company is going to run out of money, which means we're not going to have any job at all. So we don't want to be open at all. So all you're doing is prolonging your death. And now that's dropping. What I just said is dropping the context. Obviously, with yeah. the context of COVID, it was completely safe to reopen. But let's say it was more dangerous. On one hand, you're taking the risk, the short term risk, and your life may end earlier. But at least you'll be able to keep working in the long run. Or in the, if you'd go the way of completely shutting down, well, the company will slowly lose money and then it won't be able to operate at all anymore. So these same people, and then if they can't operate at all anymore, obviously you lose your job and then you can't support yourself. That's where I was going. But these same people pushed back and made Disney push back against the don't say gay bill. So now Disney is doing things to push back against that bill. So, of course, William, if Disney pushes back against the Florida legislator... 
What is the Florida legislator going to do? They're going to push back, too. If you're going to be play politics, then politics is a two-way street. Right. So what people may not know is Disney has this special operating city. And we're going to get into all of this, right? This special operating city called Reedy Creek, where they essentially provide their own services. Right? They don't need to get permits to build on it. They don't need. They have their own firemen and things like that. So they in in that area, they essentially do everything themselves. Now, Ron DeSantis has said that oh, perhaps we should look into that. Perhaps we should look into that. So that's his sort of threat there. Oh, you have a problem with what we're doing? Oh, maybe we should look into these quote unquote privileges we've given you that Florida has given you. And there's another quote I'm going to read here in a second. So nothing has happened as of yet, but we're seeing, you know, who's going to back down first. It's a giant game of chicken. Disney's saying, oh, get rid of the bill. And the right in Florida is saying, oh, well, maybe we should get rid of your area called Reedy Creek. And what makes this especially insane and farcical, William, is what they're saying. On the right. Now, I want to be clear. DeSantis did not say this, although I do not agree with the way DeSantis is handling this. This is another representative here in Florida. His name is Roach, ironically. In an interview Friday afternoon, State Representative Roach called Reedy Creek the largest tax evasion scam in Florida history, if not U.S. history. And we've had our share of scams in Florida. They have an advantage, Roach continued, and it's anti-economic liberty. That is my bent here. Really, the fundamental question should be, why did we do this in the first place? As Floridians, do we believe in free markets or not? If we do, then this is wrong. William, isn't the irony here that if they believed in free markets, they'd leave Disney alone and let them have their area that they own and can do whatever they want on without having to get government permission and pay the government to exist? Yeah, yeah, it's a... It's uh, a little bit twisted to to argue it. A that little. Way. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess they're throwing in any tax incentives as well in there. So, the, so I have to give a tiny, the tiniest bit of credit to that. But yeah, it's uh, if we're saying like, hey, you know, you could do what you want on your land. That seems pretty uh, free market to me. <laughs> well, and that's that's the complexity here, right? That's the complexity here. I do not agree with Disney going after the state of Florida for the parental rights and education bill, right? I don't have any problem with that bill, right? Now, this is where it gets super complex, right? Public education is something I don't agree with, and I'm sure you don't agree with, even though I'm a public educator. Somebody hears this podcast, are probably about to get fired. No, I'm doing the best I can within a system I think is flawed. When I talk about I don't agree with public education, I agree with private education, and I think it would be better education for the kids. But if that's the situation they're in, I'm going to help these kids the best I can. That's why I'm, I'm working in a public school. But I think it's a flawed system. So Disney actually going against the bill about regulating what's taught in the classroom actually could be seen as pro-freedom. But it's obviously not because it's based upon this idea of pushing forward this you know, social justice agenda. So it's all super twisted here. So I don't agree with what Disney's doing fighting back because if the, the government's going to be involved in school, then obviously parents have a right 
to know what the kids are saying. And also you need to have a conversation about when it's right to teach certain things. But at the same time, I don't agree with turning around and taking away their freedom. The reason Disney has been able to survive and excel in this area is because of the freedom they've been given with this special Reedy Creek area. And if we could use that as a model for everyone, life would be a lot better overall for everyone. I'm going to assume by your silence that you are stunned into agreement, William. I'm just imagining how much easier it would be to build out the store without having so many bureaucrats come in and, and then tell me conflicting things. Some of which required me to, you know, tear up my floor days before opening. Why did you have to tear up your floor days before opening? Because the toilet needed to be an inch to the left. I should you not. Are you serious? Yes. What, what, what was their reasoning for it being, was it a disability thing that it wasn't yep. as accessible? Yep. That inch is really going to make a difference. Don't. Don't. That's what she said. <laughs> All right. I think we've, we, when we've, we've hit that floor, pun intended. Um, I think it's time to move on. What do you think? Yes, sir. All right, let's do it in the hopeful bromantic with JML. Put me into syndication, broadcast to a network station of people viewing their favorite episodes. I can't find a new pitch to throw the studio. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so in our Discord channel. In fact, somebody joined the Discord right before we started recording. So I'd like to give a shout out to Midsider Molten Lava James. I already clicked the wave button, which I had never clicked before. And this like bird with an orange head and a green body and purple feet Holding, I don't even know. What is it holding? Is that a wind chime it's holding, William? This gif? <laughs> is this some gay code that I don't understand? I don't know what's going on in Discord. That's, that's but what I was if just you want to find saying, out, join. Join the Discord, yeah. The internet is so surreal. The society we live in is so surreal. Like, what is this waving bird gif? I don't even know. Anyway... You can join the Discord by going to midside.com or the midside.com slash podcast. Click on any episode link, and within that episode link is the invite link, which will let you join and keep talking to us. You know, maybe you can give some uh, trailer feedback. Uh, Midsider Cody loves doing that every week, and we'll see what he thought of some of the trailers in a few minutes. But first, I want to give a quick review. I saw Morbius this week. Morbius is, of course, the... Sony Spider-Man verse live action movie starring, I say live action because they have their into the spider verse animated movies. Uh, It stars Jared Leto and Matt Smith. And it's not really a uh, superhero movie, William. It's more of a vampire movie. So in it, Jared Leto and Matt Smith have a disease that 
I don't even know what it is. The disease is. He starts walking. Jared Lowe's character walks on those canes like Jimmy from South Park. And they're going to live a shorter life. But Jared Leto's character is really smart. And he's working on gene splicing therapy to fix their condition. And he's able to splice himself with vampire bats. Except, predictably, William, he splices himself with vampire bats. And what do you think he becomes? An elephant? An elephant, yes. He becomes an elephant. He, he grows a giant trunk. No, he becomes a vampire, right? Now, this isn't like the traditional vampire in the sense that he um, is always a vampire, right? He can walk during the day and stuff, although this, the movie does take place a lot at, at night, and it's unclear uh, if he's going to fully go that way because throughout much of the movie, he's uh, he's created synthetic blood. Oh, and that reminds me. The condition is their blood, essentially, they have to do dialysis multiple times a day because their their kidneys aren't functioning, something like that. And that's why he invented the the synthetic blood. So he has to drink the synthetic blood every few hours, but as he does that, it becomes to be not enough. And, you know, it starts at six, then it goes to four hours. And eventually he learns, well, I'm going to have to drink the red, as he calls it, human blood. But when he does that, he essentially hulks out and becomes like a full-fledged vampire bat, a human vampire bat, and is hunting people. Now, in this movie, he's the anti-hero because he's obviously killing people to survive, but he's not wanting to do it. And Matt Smith, his best friend from childhood, becomes the villain, and he has to hunt him down and kill him. I don't really have a lot to say about this movie, William, because I wish I could like it more because Jared Leto is great. Although in this movie, he's kind of just average and Matt Smith is great. And I actually quite enjoyed him in this movie. But this suffers from what a lot of movies now do for studios. It's, it's very, very rushed. It's very, very rushed. I mean, they have one scene of them as children to establish their bond, even though they really, really are the main conflict of the movie and they really, really affect each other after I can't remember the character's name after Jared Leto's character figures out how to splice the DNA. And then even at the end, like, so this is some spoilers, but I mean, whatever, I wouldn't suggest seeing this movie. I don't give this movie a terrible rating, but I wouldn't suggest going out and seeing it. There's walkers in the barn and Lori's pregnant. Thank you. So, Obviously, at a certain point, he has to drink his girlfriend's blood. And it being a vampire movie, she's going to come back to dead from the dead. But it's right at the end. After he beats Matt Smith's character, there's literally like a five-second shot of her opening her eyes. There's no visual context given. The scene isn't allowed to breathe. It's just a bunch of cuts, then a cut to her opening her eyes, then a cut to him in a completely other place, and then we go to the credits. And... I think that sort of just sums up the way this movie was edited. And I don't know if the studio did it, but everything was very, very rushed. Now, Matt Smith has said some things that he didn't really understand his character. The script doesn't really give a lot of background on it. So it may be a script issue, but this was very much just like hitting the main parts it needs to hit to be a superhero movie and add to a cinematic universe. 
And I think that's the problem is a lot of people are trying to rush to, a lot of studios are trying to rush to, we saw this with WB, now we're seeing it with Sony, they're trying to rush to having cinematic universes without putting in the work to establish everything beforehand. And it's because when Disney bought Marvel, Marvel had already done the groundwork. They had already had their flop with the first Hulk movie. They had already had their big hit with the first Iron Man and the second Iron Man. So the work had already been done. So it looks like Disney kind of just started on the ground floor, started above the ground floor, but they had already started there. So look, is this a terrible movie? No, there's some decent stuff about it. There's some Snyder influence in the slow-mo, right? Some Snyder or Matrix influence, however you want to say it. And like I said, Matt Smith is pretty good, but there's no reason to rush out to see this. So I'm not going to give this like a, a like a just no. And I don't know, it's on the edge of no bro and just bro. Like you're not going to hate it if you see it, but I would not suggest going out to see it. All right, now we'll talk about some movies that are going to come out. Uh, one of these trailers I saw during the previews before Morbius. I always post the trailers in the Discord, usually on Saturdays. That's so you can watch the trailers whenever you would like. You know, maybe you want to watch them before the episode. Maybe you want to watch them after the episode. Or maybe you want to alternate between. You want to watch a trailer, we talk about it. Watch a trailer, we talk about it. Trailer takedown. First trailer. Minions, The Rise of Gru is the prequel to the animated franchise. Uh, I mean, it's kind of logical that at some point that the Despicable Me franchise would find another way to continue to go. I mean, it's a moneymaker for Universal. They've got rides in the park now. That merchandise sells like crazy. They're going to figure out a way to keep milking this over and over again. Uh, I don't think the trailer looks particularly bad. Um, I, I'm just not interested in this, really. I've never been a big fan of the Despicable Me franchise. Uh, Insider Cody passes on this, and uh, I think I will pass as well. Nothing nothing malevolent here. I don't begrudge you if you want to see this, if you have children. But I just I don't see a reason for me to go out of my way to see this. Tackle. Tackle. Yeah, I mean, it's going to have a lot of slapstick with the uh, minions. But I think outside of that, I don't really see anything in this trailer for me. So I, too, will just lightly tackle it. Tackle. Second trailer. Choose or Die is a Netflix horror movie that seems to be a combination of Saw and the movie Nerve. I don't know if anyone ever saw the movie Nerve. It starred Dave Franco and Machine Gun Kelly. And it people played a social media game in which the audience dared them to do certain things that got more and more dangerous. And obviously, people would die doing it. Well, this is similar. It's a sort of 1980s computer game where it's text-based and you choose what other people do. You, you choose what they do. And if you don't, you die. So the the example they give here is the woman who plays the game is in a um, restaurant and a waitress drops a glass and it says, what do you want her to do, break more or clean it up? And she has to choose. And if she doesn't choose, she herself dies. But when she chooses clean it up, the waitress starts eating the glass 
picking it up and eating it. Now, what's interesting about this to me, William, is that it's not purely just the game. It, that's where the nerve thing comes in, where in, in the movie Nerve, they're literally doing dares for social media and for likes and hits. Where here, when she's choosing, those things are actually affecting actual reality, or so it seems from the trailer. I think the trailer's hiding some things in the way it's cut, but I think this could be really, really interesting. It's also a new writer-director. I looked the person up on IMDb. I don't remember his name, but he's only done a bunch of shorts before this. So this is new talent being given a chance. So I will give this a chance. Netflix and Hug. Netflix and Hug. I, too, am intrigued by the premise. Um, It looks like it's got some interesting visual effects. It looks like a new and interesting story. I love the concept of... of uh, the the anxiety people have about choosing and and then um, you know playing with this uh, um, you know forced choice and and you know what that would feel like or mean. Um, so if that's where this is going, it looks really interesting. However, this is just not the kind of movie that I can enjoy. Uh, lots of gore is just not something that. Uh, it, it it just takes me out of film. So just for me particularly, this uh, as much as uh, I want to encourage more stories, more new creative stories like this, and the premise sounds super interesting, it's, it's just not something I think I could stomach. So just for that reason alone, it's going to get a tackle. Tackle. Third trailer. Duel is a sci-fi movie starring Karen Gillian. In this world, when you're dying, imminently you can get cloned, so that your life will live on. But apparently there is a rule that more than one of you cannot exist at a time because Karen Gillian gets herself cloned and then learns that she actually isn't dying. So they are given one year to prepare to duel to the death. I love this premise. I I think it's wickedly creative. I think it has potential to be very funny. I just have one hesitation about this movie. My hesitation about this movie is that it's by the same guy who, and I don't remember if, or I don't know if you remember this, William. I don't remember the name of the movie. Do you remember the, I think it was called The Art of Self-Defense, actually. Do you remember that trailer starring Jesse Eisenberg, which was supposed to be a black comedy and seemed to be anti-masculine? And we we both tackled it because it looks social yeah. justice. Yeah. Yes. This is by the same director. And the aesthetic here is similar to that trailer where this is not a romantic aesthetic at all. And when I think of romantic aesthetic, I don't even think of Snyder. I think of Boz Lerman. Like he super romanticizes everything. Right. We talk about Moulin Rouge and the Great Gatsby and things like that. So that is my one drawback of this movie but the premise is so strong that i'm willing to give this a chance i'm willing to give this a chance and if i like it i'll go back and watch the art of self-defense as well because i do like eisenberg and i did like some of the stuff in that trailer so this is a big watershed moment for this director i am interested just as midsider cody is interested in this trailer hug hug yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you you uh, pointed out uh, something that was itching in in the back of my mind here. 
I, I, I agree with you. The way this is shot, it's, it seems very naturalistic. Yes. I think, though, it might work in this case as a contrast with such a romantic premise. So, I, like, if anything, I'm yeah. hopeful. I'm hopeful about uh, uh, seeing this, and because the the way the comedy will work best is if if it's more subdued and naturalistic on the visuals and the and sort of the way it is shot and the way the plot lays out. As long as you keep the very uh, uh, almost ridiculous premise uh, sound, if that makes any sense. So you could, I think this could work. Um, I'm hopeful and uh, kind of excited to see this. So this is a hug for me as well. Mm, hug. And if that's this Final. director's style, William, yeah. you just wanted to be able to hit the uh, way to step on it, Justin. Uh, for the record, I, I'm down to one screen, so I have to switch back and forth, and you know. So just... Way to step on so, it, Justin. Way to step on it, William. That was you. <laughs> that was you. That was well, you. Get, but, get Daniel in here. We'll record a way to step on it, William. So uh, as I was saying, if this is the director's style, it could make us go back and reconsider what he was going for in the art of self-defense. Perhaps yeah. that movie is more subversive than we realized. Maybe he isn't pro-social justice. Maybe he's making a point about what self-defense really is. There, he could be, in a way, satirizing naturalism. Could he not? Yeah, yeah. Final trailer. Top Gun Maverick is the sequel to the 80s movie Top Gun, which I suppose is inevitable in today's day and age, but I don't know how many people are asking for this. I certainly wasn't asking for this. Look, I'm not going to lie. I'm not a big Top Gun fan to begin with. And I think this trailer kind of represents exactly what I feel about the original Top Gun. I saw this trailer uh, before Morbius, and I just found it to be incredibly boring. I just didn't care. I, it didn't do anything for me at all. I don't even know if I can substantiate why I find it so boring, but it's just like... Oh, you know, if they all die in combat, then that's your fault. What? That's your fault? It's combat. If they die, they die. Like, they can be the best pilot in the world, and they still could die. It could happen. Like, that's war. That's what happens. I don't, I don't know. Well, maybe you can explain it better than me, but I just... As much as, as, much as Midsider Cody says, hell fucking yeah to this, I say, hell fucking not of this. Tackle. Tackle. It doesn't make me angry, William. <laughs> it just bores me. <laughs> well, I don't have a boring one, I don't think. Oh, maybe this one. Hold on. Tackle. No. No, yeah. it's like about... tackle. tackle. That's the boring one. No, not that one. <laughs> tackle. Tackle. There yeah, that's go. the bored one. That's the bored one. <laughs> Come on. All right, all right. Well, you know, it's got... It's got jets and they're flying around, so you know I want to see it. Um, I mean, does the plot actually matter in movies like this? That's really what it comes down to. If this is going to have action, lots of good uh, uh, action shots with jets flying around, then it's going to be it's going to be something I'm at least going to give a chance, uh, give it give it a chance. You know, maybe this will be end up being the uh, Cobra Kai to the Karate Kid. Who knows? 
that, that, that would be the upside. It might be. Um, and if you tell me so, it is, I'll go see it. But yeah, I think it's like, yeah. I, I think maybe it's I'm just not into airplanes. I'm not into jets. Maybe that's why I find it boring. <laughs> Fuck the jets. But, uh, <laughs> Fuck the jets, J-E-G-S. All right. But yes, you know I'm going to see this. I'm uh, very excited. Uh, so, yes, let's hug it. Hug. All right, William, what did we learn this trip? Oh, man, I learned that toxic femininity is on display and very few see it. Justin, what did you learn this trip? Yeah, that's a really, really important lesson, William. Very few see it. And maybe maybe we can start seeing it now. Maybe, maybe the Will Smith thing will be a turning point for our culture. Uh, but I personally learned that apparently I just don't like jets and not just the ones from New York. <laughs> just don't care about planes for some reason. Planes, trains, and automobile. I guess that's why I never went into like mechanical engineering. I mean, they're cool and I appreciate them, but it's not like, oh, wow, that's awesome. Like when, when planes do a fly... I, well, I'm going to ask you this, William. When planes do a flyover for like a game, like when you're in the stadium, like do you think that's really cool? I do. I like it. Huh. I'm just like, okay, I'm glad you wasted time and fuel to come over here and do that for 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah. You're like, can we just show more of the warm-ups? <laughs> 100%. I want to see more, I want to see more pass drills. All right. All right, I want to thank everybody for listening. If it wasn't for you, this would just be me talking to a corner in the closet like a crazy person. It still is. You just make me feel a little bit less crazy. If you'd like to support me in my insanity, you can do so by going to midside.com slash store or the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's how we keep the lights on. And of course, the best way to grow the show is to tell a friend. So go ahead, William, all those people that you're meeting in Santa Rosa as you're serving them a sandwich, you can promote your podcast. How's that for alliteration? <laughs> this concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emlesneski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Have a grand opening. So sometimes your audio is dropping out. I'm assuming that that's not going to be on your recording. That's only via the Discord server. Yeah, I think that's probably the uh, hotel Wi-Fi, but uh, that's why we record locally. Yeah, little insider baseball, little behind the scenes for you people who are still listening to the episode. Thank you for your support.